All right. So this weekend, we are in week four of this series that we have called Dream On. And Joseph's life is a study of Joseph, and his life was full of dreams. We all have dreams. But sometimes we struggle in the process of having those dreams that we have in our heart, that God has put in our heart, all the way to the destiny or the fulfillment of those dreams. And here's what we find out is that God understands, he understands the dream to the destiny. But what we have to do is we have to live in the middle, in that space between our dreams and our destiny. And this is the big question that we're asking during this series and we're answering, hopefully, is how do we travel from the dream to the destiny, from the dream that's in our heart to the fulfillment of our destiny? How do we actually get there? And not only how do we get there, but how do we get there well? And so we're studying the life of Joseph to discover that because he did. He went from his dream to his destiny, okay? We know that Joseph was born into a very dysfunctional family. He was the 11th of 12 boys, uh, and his father raised him and spoiled him rotten. And, uh, and so Joseph grew up feeling superior to his brothers because Joseph had this problem. It was a problem of pride in his life. His brothers hated him so much because of this pride that they sold him into slavery. We found out that pride can hinder your destiny. And Joseph dealt with pride, and he found out that the way that you hold the dreams that God gives you, if you hold them with pride, that's an issue, because the way that you hold your dreams that God gives you will determine if and when it comes to pass. Joseph learns this lesson, but the journey is not easy quite uh, at this point. And so we found out that God is faithful to the promised outcome, but not an easy journey. So Joseph is, is sold to slavery. He's sold to Potiphar, which is one of the most powerful officials in all of Egypt, the, which is the most powerful country in the world. Joseph then raises to the top of this household. So he is the number two guy in one of the most powerful households on the planet. And it's in the context of that success that one of his biggest tests, sexual temptation, comes. Joseph overcomes this test of temptation, and the reason that he did is we found out is because he realized what he could lose in the, in the light of that temptation, and he ran. But because Potiphar's wife had propositioned, and because he rejected her, it actually made her angry. She screamed rape. Joseph gets thrown into jail, and in prison, we find out that God is more interested in developing his character than his comfort. Because he's got to rule a nation. And in that prison, he makes two friends, a baker and a cupbearer. And they both have dreams. And Joseph is then faithful interpreting these lesser dreams of these two prisoners. And because he's faithful with little, what happens is God gives him much. And then he gets presented to Pharaoh to interpret this, the most powerful man in the, on the planet's dream. And that's where we pick up today. So... Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream, and his dream was this. Basically, he was standing on the bank of the river, and seven fat cows came out of the river, okay? Then he sees seven scrawny, ugly, thin cows that came out, and the thin, ugly, lean cows, they actually ate up the seven fat cows, okay? Then he has another dream where he sees seven heads of grain, full and good, just growing and healthy, heads of grain, and after them, 
seven other heads which were like sprouted and they were withered and they were scrawny and, and they were thin heads of grain. And then they swallow up the seven good grain or good heads. So Joseph interprets this dream for Pharaoh like this. He says, the seven good cows are se- and the seven good heads of grain are seven good years, years of plenty, okay? That the land is going to produce a lot of crops for seven years. And, but then the seven ugly skinny cows, the seven uh, unhealthy heads of grain, those represent seven years of famine that come right after the seven years of good. And the reason that the dream came to Pharaoh in two different forms is because there was nothing anybody could do about it is gonna happen all right so he interprets a dream and he then he also advises pharaoh and he says what you need to do pharaoh is put somebody in charge of the land and take a fifth of the harvest in egypt during the seven years where there's tons of of grain and plenty save it up for the whole country to be able to use during this seven years of famine So, famine says, yes, and I think I found somebody to put in charge of all this. Joseph, I want you to handle it. So then, in chapter 41, verse 39, this is what Pharaoh says to Joseph. He says, since God has made all this known to you, there is nobody as discerning and wise as you. So, you shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people will submit to you. Only with respect to the throne will I even be greater than you. He says, so I therefore put you, Joseph, in charge of the entire land of Egypt. So here's Joseph. One day, in one day, because he's been faithful in test after test after test, overnight, he goes from prisoner, listen, to the, mo- to the second most powerful person on the planet. Think about that for a minute. Joseph, now the second most powerful man on the planet. And there are some people on the planet that have wronged him. There are some people that have caused him enormous pain on his journey. His brothers who had sold him into slavery. And so Joseph is presented with another test. And that is going to be the test of unforgiveness. And it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one for Joseph. And let me tell you, it's not an easy one for us either. Some of us know that oh too well. And with this topic that we're talking today, I, have no, I, I know nothing that is more powerful in destroying your destiny. Because in that space between your dream and your destiny, look, there is almost always someone who is at fault. Either, either partially or fully at fault for your pain and your detours that you go through on the way to your destiny. Somebody who has hurt you. And regardless of what hurt that we've experienced, there's always this dilemma. Are we going to hold on to unforgiveness? Or are we going to release and forgive? And even bigger, how do you even do it? Now look, in Scripture, I know nobody that had more of an ironclad case other than Jesus for uh, for why they shouldn't have to forgive. Other than Jesus, Joseph. Now think about it. His brothers hate him all through his childhood. So much to the point that they betray him. They sell him to a human trafficking ring, basically. And Joseph then becomes the the second most powerful. He stores up all this grain. And then (laughs) he is so powerful. And it has been 20 years since he begged for his life from his brothers. And now, 20 years later, 
guess who shows up at Joseph's doorstep begging for food because they're starving? His evil, horrific brothers that had betrayed him. Genesis 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Now you remember the dream? When he's 17, it's that all his brothers bow down to him. And you think, what? this is nuts. I mean, like, this, is, this actually happened. And on the surface level, it actually looks like it is happening, but it's actually not happening. Because in Joseph's dream, there were 11 brothers bowing down to him. And in this moment, there's only 10 brothers bowing down to him. Why? Because Benjamin, Joseph's little brother, got left at home, who became dad's favorite after Joseph left. And here's the interesting thing, is that as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognizes them, but he pretends to be a stranger, and he, spoke, he speaks harshly to them. Maybe we could see the anger that has been building for 20 years, seeping out the pores as he just unleashes at his brothers. But here's what's more interesting than that. Although Joseph recognizes his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Now, why would Joseph recognize them, but them not recognize Joseph? Well, it's simple. At this point, Joseph is completely Egyptian, okay? He is a leader in the Egyptian kingdom, and so he, uh, he would actually speak the Egyptian language at this point. He talks like Egyptian. He dresses like Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian, everybody, all right? He's got the guy liner and the whole deal, okay? He is Egyptian, I think Joseph would have also remembered his dad at this point and his younger brother uh, who, were, who, who both were innocent in him being sold into slavery. And he would think, if I don't send these brothers back with food, then my dad and my little brother, Benji, they're going to starve because this is how bad the famine was. So Joseph gets an idea and he says, you know what, I'm going to allow the brothers to go back to their homeland, go back to my dad and my brother. And he tells them, on one condition, you got to leave one of you here in jail. And the only way you can get your brother back out is when you get home, bring Benjamin back so, so that all 11 brothers would be there. So they agree. And as his brothers are walking out, he, jo, Joseph hears something, and watch this. He turned away from them, and he begins to weep. As if 20 years of pent-up pain and hurt is brought out, and he begins to process this. So the brothers go home. They show up to dad, and they say, we got great news. We got food. We're going to live. The bad news is we had to leave Simeon in jail. And the only way we're going to get him out of prison is to bring Benjamin back. And literally, the dad looks at his brothers, and he says, sucks to be Simeon because <laughs> we're not going to send Benjamin back. And then, watch this, for the next two years, they eat all the food that Joseph sent back while, while Simeon is rotting in prison. You thought your family was dysfunctional. <laughs> this is messed up. So eventually the food runs out. That's how bad it is. And the only choice that Joseph's dad has is now to send all the brothers back, including Benjamin. Otherwise, they're all going to die. So... The brothers, it's been two years. The brothers go back to Joseph, probably trembling in fear because it's been two whole years. I mean, is this guy going to just kill us on the spot? We don't know. And so when they show up, watch what happens. All 11 brothers are there now. 
and it says that they bowed down before him to the ground. There it is. Joseph's dream fulfilled. And at this, Joseph takes out his sword and he looks at his brothers and he says, say hello to my little friend. And he chops them all to pieces like a John Wick movie. It's true. No, that's not what happened at all. But look, isn't that, isn't that what we want in our lives? When people hurt us, wouldn't that be very gratifying? It's like all the movies that we love, right? Denzel Washington, you know, Liam Neeson, just killing everybody out of revenge. But what does Joseph do? Watch this. Verse 30, deeply moved at the sight of his brother, his little brother. When he sees his little brother for the first time, this is his only full-blood brother. Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went to a private room and he wept. He begins to weep. He begins to process through all of the pain that were caused. Then Joseph wipes his tears away. He pulls himself together because he, he hasn't revealed himself to his brothers yet. They don't know who he is. And so he goes to his brothers and he allows them to go home with the food. But he is going to mess with them a little bit. Because as he's sending them, them away, he takes his silver cup, which actually would have been a massive status symbol for him. It would have been a very expensive thing, a status of power in that culture. He takes his silver cup and he puts it in Benjamin, his little brother's bag, and he sends them on their way. And as they're leaving Egypt, Joseph sends a servant out and the servant walks up to all the, the, the caravan and he says, you wicked, evil men. How could you steal from my master when he has done so much for you to save your lives? And the brothers are taken back. They're like, look, we didn't steal anything. And, and in fact, if anybody here has caught stealing anything from your master, we say that person will die and we'll all become your slaves. And the slave says, sure enough, search the bags. So they search the bags. And of course, they find the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And Benjamin's brothers, they, this would be cultural, they tear their clothes in grief because they know their lives are over. And they go back to Joseph trembling, just knowing that maybe they're going to die or at least be slaves for the rest of their life. And Joseph looks at them and he says, no, 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 not all of you in trouble, just Benjamin, just the one caught with the silver cup. And then in this crazy twist of fate, which, now, I want you to remember this part because uh, if you're not careful, we'll gloss past this in this story. But, and we're going to actually come back to it later. But Benjamin, in this scenario, it seems as though he deserves to die. And Judah, one of Jesus's, uh, sorry, one of Joseph's brothers, he raises his hand and he says, I will take the place of Benjamin. I'll trade my life for his life. And at this moment, Joseph, he cannot take it anymore. Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everybody leave my presence. So then there was no one with Joseph. There's nobody there except for him and his brothers when he makes himself known to them. And then he wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him through the whole household. This is how loud. He is uncontrollably weeping at this point. 
And then Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. And I'm sure they're a little bit concerned. But when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one that begged for his life when you sold me into slavery in Egypt. And watch this. Watch what Joseph does in this moment. He could have hacked them all to pieces at this point, okay? Watch what he does. And now don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was always God's plan for Joseph to go to Egypt. We know that from his dreams. We know uh, that that his brothers were supposed to bow down to him, his, his parents. He was supposed to save his entire family and his whole lineage. Now, because of how his brothers treated him and because of what they did, he took a detour. It didn't have to be through slavery. It didn't have to be through prison. But here's the bottom line. Joseph understands that although there are some detours, God is the one that ordained him to be where he's at that day. And it's in this moment that Joseph utterly, completely forgives his brothers for the unforgivable. And so the question is, how did he do it? Look, if we want to develop the ability to forgive others, when it seems like what they've done is unforgivable, how? How do you forgive? Joseph wept. How did he do it? He wept. And what do I mean by that is he allowed himself to process and grieve what he's lost. And this is one of the greatest gaps that we have with forgiving is this, is that we never allow ourselves to process and to grieve what we've lost when we've been wrong. And we all do this. A lot of times we don't allow ourselves to actually process and grieve what we've lost. We never process truly what somebody has taken from us. And what they've done to us. And what do we typically do when somebody harms us? You know, just buck up. We gloss by it. We do our best to run by the pain and the hurt. And we just act like it doesn't bother us. If somebody hurts us, what we do is what we, 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 we know we got to forgive. So we say, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. No, they really hurt you. I mean, they abused you. They betrayed you. They ruined your reputation. No, 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 not me. Not me. Supposed to forgive. I'm strong. I got it. I'm too strong for that. Guys, this is not what Joseph does. He doesn't act like it's not a big deal. He doesn't act like it's not painful. He processes the pain. He, re he weeps uncontrollably, so loud that the whole household heard it. Let me take a second and talk to us guys for just a second. Culturally, we've been taught that real men don't cry. Right? That's kind of just our MO sometimes. And yet we have one of the most godly, powerful men in scripture weeping uncontrollably. Jesus wept. So if, if you think real men don't cry, you may need a different perspective of what men, of being a man actually looks like, okay? Now, that being said, let's talk honestly. Watching people walk around just, just continually crying all the time is annoying, okay? I'm not talking about not having any emotional control, all right? No, notice he left when he knew he needed to release those emotions to begin with until it was time to do that in front of his brothers. 
And I'm not talking about you just walking around weeping all the time. That's annoying. Let's not do that. But I'm saying there's a time and a place when you've been hurt that you need to process that grief. Okay? To the point that you may need to, in private or with trusted friends, you may need to shed some tears, whatever it takes just to process what happened, instead of just trying to stuff it down. Because listen, acting like what somebody did doesn't bother you, it actually is counterproductive. When we act like things don't bother us at all and we just try to move on, here's what we're doing. We take a monster and we stuff it down into our soul. And what will happen is at the most inopportune time, that monster will unleash out of you on everybody around you. Some of us are so triggered. We're angry all the time and we don't know why, but we just see anger and bitterness flow out of us toward people that don't deserve it, our spouse, our friends, our children. Why? What we need to understand is that anger and bitterness, they're almost always a secondary emotion. They're secondary. There's something underneath anger almost always, and almost always what's underneath anger where we're spewing out that monster of anger and bitterness, it's almost always unforgiveness. There's somebody that we haven't released, we haven't forgiven. And that is why it's so important that we process and we grieve what we've lost. So here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Make a list and grieve those things that you've lost, okay? I'm going to say it again. An actual list. Write it down. Make a list. What would be on Joseph's list? What did his brothers take from him? They took his childhood. They took his innocence. This would be on his list. They took his peace. And, there, and look, there's a lot of things that would have been on Joseph's list that his brothers actually now owe him back. Have we ever really processed what people have taken from us? Or are we just on a macro level going, yeah, it doesn't bother me? Joseph wept. He processed. I think we've got to take account of and grieve what we really lost. Now, some people actually live in this state through their entire lives. All right? And I think that can actually be incredibly toxic. Because you cannot live here. But it is a step to health. And I'm not going to go too far down the rabbit hole because we did an entire series. You can find it uh, on the Church Center app or website or YouTube. And it was called Drinking Poison. And it goes in depth as to how to un- uh, overcome unforgiveness. But I just want to give you a quick overview of something that people get confused about. Okay? And that is this. That's what it, forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiveness does not depend on somebody apologizing. There are plenty of times that, just to be honest, it's not going to happen. Whether they're just not going to do it, or maybe that person is no longer with us. And if, we, if us forgiving somebody depends on them saying they're sorry, a lot of us are in trouble. It's also not saying that what they did is okay. Just because you forgive them does not mean that you approve of what they did for you or to you. It's not the same as trust. Listen, you can forgive somebody and no longer trust them. You might say, well, but Micah, you know, or or, Micah, you haven't forgiven me because you don't trust me. No, 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 no. They're totally separate things. Forgiveness should be immediate, but trust takes time, okay? And let me say this. There are people that potentially have hurt you in horrible, horrible ways, and you will never trust them again. 
and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you have not forgiven them, okay? Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. I'm going to explain to you how to do it in a minute. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. You can still remember what happened and yet forgive them. So this brings us to this question. What is forgiveness then? And how do we do it? How do we know that we have done it? I'm going to share something with you today that, and and I'm going to make it very, very clear what forgiveness is and actually how to know if if you have forgiven them regardless of how you feel, okay? So what is forgiveness? Watch this. Forgiveness in scripture is linked as a financial term. Now, this is kind of surprising, but it's incredibly helpful, okay? It is used as a financial term, and I'm going to use you. A perfect example is actually, uh, and look, even if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer, okay? And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus actually talks about forgiveness, and watch how he talks about it. Let it sink in for a second. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive us our what? Our debts, as we have also forgiven our, hmm. Jesus is using financial language here to talk about forgiveness. And here's why. In scripture, the word forgiveness is almost always linked as this financial concept because here's what it means to forgive biblically, okay? It means to release freely, all right? In other words, to let go of what somebody owes you or have taken from you. It's like if, if somebody owed you a financial debt and you wiped it away and you said, you don't owe me anymore, it's good. That's what forgiveness is. It's actually saying to somebody, I let you go. I no longer demand payment for what you now owe me. Now, here's the big question for us as far as applying this. How do we forgive somebody truly if we don't really know what they owe us. This is why making that list and really documenting, here's what they took from me, here's what they owe me, is so incredibly powerful and key to your forgiving them. Because if you don't know what they owe you, you can't just say on a superficial high level, I forgive you. Sometimes this is why we don't feel like we've forgiven them sometimes is because we never, we've never done the hard work of saying, okay, exactly what do they owe me so that I can release it. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today, whether it be on paper, on your tablet, your phone, whatever it is. I want you to write at the top, what did they owe me? List, what did they take from me? What did they owe me? And take account and here, I'm going to give you some examples of some things that they, they may owe you, okay? Uh, some of the things that they took from you. Maybe they took your childhood. Maybe they took your innocence. Maybe somebody took your trust in men or in authority, and you've been struggling ever since. Maybe somebody took your reputation. Maybe somebody took your friendships and they owe you that back because they've ruined a friendship by what they did. Maybe they took your peace. What have people taken from you? What did somebody take from you that they owe you? This is the first step in forgiveness is to actually take account of their debts. What do they owe you? And then the next step is this, release what they owe you. You don't owe me anymore. 
I can't tell you how powerful that this is. Because when you do this, you know what is absolutely amazing? You know what you'll find? Is that what somebody owes you, they couldn't give you back if they wanted to. Somebody owes you a childhood. They can't give you that back. So you don't owe me that anymore. I forgive you for my own sake. Not for yours, but for my own sake. I forgive you because I will not stuff that monster onto the inside of me. I will not burn with unforgiveness anymore. I will not give you control over me. Even though you took my innocence, you can't even give that back to me. You can't give me back my trust in men and authority, my reputation, my friendship. Could, it, could they help with some of these things? Maybe. I mean, but with your reputation maybe, or friendship, maybe the damage is done. Their peace, they can't give you your peace. That comes from God anyway, not a person. So we make a list and then we release that for your good so that you're not burning on the inside. And look, I know, I know. This is so easy for me to put on a screen and put on a bunch of slides. It is really hard to do. I, I know that. But I think we need to understand that one of the most powerful things that we'll ever do in life is to release and forgive somebody else, to not stuff that monster, to release the bitterness and the pain and the anger. And look, you may have to forgive over and over and over this exact same way that God forgives you over and over and over when you mess up. And look, the most amazing part of the entire story of Joseph potentially, you remember when Joseph, I'm sorry, when Benjamin gets caught with the silver cup and Judah steps up and he says, hey, look, I'll take his place, take me instead. Why Judah? I mean, I've got all the brothers. Why Judah? He wasn't the oldest. He hadn't been looking out for, jo for Joseph in the past. Why Judah? Did you know that the story of Joseph is simply a foreshadowing of who Jesus is? Look, out of all 12 brothers, which brother did Jesus come from his lineage? Judah. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he's called the Lion of Judah because he came from that lineage. And he was called the Lamb of Judah because he came through that lineage of Judah. And this is an amazing foreshadowing of Jesus forgiving us. It's one of the reasons why we take communion every month at our first Wednesday service. It's so that we can be reminded over and over that God went to such great lengths to just make a way for us to be forgiven. I mean, to send Jesus to die the most brutal death ever so that we could be forgiven. You see, Jesus is their example of this. When he forgave us everything that we've done, we are called to forgive others. And Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven. If he did that, maybe we can make a way to forgive others as well. Now, in just a minute, the band is going to lead us in a song. And during that song, here's the question that I want you to grapple with and ask yourself. Is there anybody, is there anyone that comes to mind that we need to forgive? That we need to make that list and release that list? They couldn't pay it back to you anyway.
But if you still feel those feelings of pain and hurt and, and even anger, you can be angry at somebody and still forgive them. That's okay. But the first step is asking, is there anybody that you need to release a debt? Would you stand with me?